Good morning. It is the 9th of February, 2024. And I wanted to take and do something a little bit different this morning. Do a quick stream instead of about the latest bizarre ramblings coming from Francis the Great and Merciful as he speaks to priests about po the possibility of maybe reforming the liturgy again, or instead of him defending fiducia supplicants again, or any of the usual stuff where we do, we can save some of that, I think, for tomorrow, <laughs> I suspect. Um, there's a real need, I think, out there, for, maybe for guidance and some kind of good news out there. And so today we can talk instead about something that Bishop Schneider did. You remember him. We haven't actually heard from Bishop Athanasius Schneider, I feel like, in 2024 yet at all, which is almost unusual. He does a lot of the conferences and online interviews and any other anything else you care to name. He hasn't done, it seemed like, was release a letter. And then I saw that he did one two days ago. So I think we're just going to go over that this morning. Um, for those curious about my health, it's not yet. It's it was I was feeling great yesterday until I did some errands with family, took them to lunch, and then suddenly wasn't feeling good anymore. So, and today it does not feel much improved. So, keep the stream brief. So, there's a lot of talk in Rome, Francis meeting with priests, telling them about being pastoral. He recently told them all to, whenever someone comes into the confessional, just forgive them. Forgive everything. That's, uh, not the best advice to give to priests because sometimes people don't have a firm purpose of amendment and very clear that they don't have a firm purpose of amendment. We're not talking about people with habitual sins that are very, the habit is very hard to break, but they're resisting. They are doing everything in their power to resist. No, we're not talking about those people. We're talking about people who, for whatever reason, they're just going to go through the motions to so they can get the Eucharist, right? They have no purpose to amend their lives, to go forth and sin no more. And so this is like the counter argument from Bishop Schneider. And he gave this, a, he, he wrote this just a couple of days ago on, it's called the priest as instrument of holiness and truth. Let's just go over this today. There is a story in the life of the Holy Curie of ours that goes like this. St. John Marie Vianney was on his way to ours, his first assignment. When he came to a fork in the road, not knowing how to continue, it so happened that a boy from ours came along. The young priest asked the local if he could point the way to ours. After the, po the boy had obliged, the priest replied, You have shown me the way to ours, now I will show you the way to heaven. To show the way to heaven. That is the first and foremost duty of the priest and the hierarchy. Christ alone is the way, the only way to heaven, because he alone is the life and the truth. The priest leads men to heaven by giving them the divine life of grace by means of the sacraments, and the truth by means of the magisterium of the church. The dogmatic basis for understanding the ministerial priesthood is the priesthood of Christ himself, the Son of God made man. The mystery of the Incarnation, more properly speaking, the hypostatic union, is the key to understanding this. The human nature of Christ is provided with the highest grace possible, the grace of hypostatic union with the second person of the Most Holy Trinity. Because of this grace, Christ is a priest forever. His most sublime priestly function is the offering of the redeeming sacrifice of the cross, which has the endless expiatory value and the infinite value of divine adoration. Being both priest and victim, sacerdos et hosta, he reveals in a living and concrete way his priestly dignity. 
the eternal word, the second person of the Trinity, possesses and sanctifies the human humanity of Christ, thus his priesthood. The personal being of the Son gives infinite value to Christ's sacrifice and to each and every holy mass. The humanity of Christ is the instrument, united directly to the Godhead. To be the priestly image of Christ and his living instrument on the part of the human priest requires being an image and an ever more docile instrument of Christ, also regards the priest's personal morality. In the traditional rite of ordination, the newly ordained are admonished with these words, Consider diligently the order which you have received. The priest should continuously nourish in himself a very high estimation of his sacramental state. The grace of priestly ordination is given so that the priest may fulfill sacramental acts, not only validly, but also with real holiness. Herein lies the great dignity and the reason for the high moral demands of the Catholic priesthood. St. Mary Magdalene of Pazzi had such a great understanding of the priesthood that she conscientiously addressed the chaplain of her religious community as Christ. She did the same for all other priests because she only saw Christ in them. The divine powers that the priest exercises in persona Christi Capitis bring him into the closest connection with Christ and in constant and complete dependency upon him. The life, the endeavors, and the glory of the priest belong for this reason to Jesus alone. Let's pause for a second here. What does that sound like? That to me sounds like an absolute repudiation of Francis's talk of rigidity and clericalism. That is a repudiation of that. We hear from the Bergolians that the priest should not hold himself in high esteem, not act as if he is the boss of mass. And while that's true in the context of the priest does not have the right to tinker around with and alter the mass or any of the other sacraments, as that late document from the Vatican said earlier this week, that's certainly true in that context. In general, the priest being in persona Christi means he should hold himself with some dignity and some regard. And it's, that is what is being reminded of here by Bishop Schneider. This is a repudiation, I think, of all this clericalism talk we get from Rome. Checking the chat briefly. Thank you for the prayers for, for my well-being. Um, do appreciate it. Um, yeah, not going well on that front. We're going to continue here. The means to priestly holiness. What is the best means for the priest in his personal way of life to be an ever clearer image and ever more docile instrument of Christ? It is that union with Christ, which the faith-filled, respectful, and loving celebration of the sacrifice of the mass brings about. What makes the celebration spiritually fruitful is not only the respectful completion of the rites, but above all else, prayerful preparation before and prayerful thanksgiving after Holy Mass. Cardinal Herbert Vaughn, the former Archbishop of Westminster, addressed his priests in these words, If we are deeply convinced that the Holy Mass is the sum of our lives, around which all our actions and doings revolve, just as the course of the constellations must needs go around their center. If we are deeply convinced that the offering of this holy sacrifice is the most sublime act we can ever perform, then we will strive to use our entire day for special and immediate preparation for it. It will not be difficult then, but on the contrary, pleasant and easy. If we strive, first of all, for a living understanding of what holy mass really is, and secondly, to make it a habit to recite more often, Little express and little prayers as a prepar preparation for Holy Mass. He gave that in 1905. The Cardinal continues 
you might add to the Stabat Mater verse, Facut adeit cormeum em amando Christum deum, the words, et ut digne cerebrum. St. John Marie Vianney remarks, if a priest becomes negligent in his way of life, it is because he does not celebrate Mass devoutly. Think about the implication of those words every time you see clown masses on your on the internet. Every time you see a mass being offered on a surfboard somewhere. Think about the implication of those words. The way the priest treats the Eucharist species at the consecration, during the rite of communion, and during adoration is a measure of how much the spirit and the image of Christ lives within him. As a shining example for a faith-filled, respectful, and loving celebration of Holy Mass, Pope Pius XII should be mentioned. Sister Pascalina Lerner assisted at his daily Mass for about 40 years. She testifies. At 7 a.m., Pius XII goes to the chapel. He kneels on the big kneeler in preparation for the divine sacrifice. Then he goes to the altar. He puts the vestments on and says the prescribed prayer so clearly that you can understand each syllable, and at the same time, not loudly or in a disturbing way. Now he begins the prayers at the foot of the altar. Deeply bowing and slowly putting his soul into each individual word, he prays the confidier. Then he opens his arms wide, puts his eyes and face up to the big ivory crucifix, and goes up to the steps to the altar. I have always found the introit on the feasts of the doctors of the church so seemly for Pius XII himself. In the midst of the church, the Lord opened his mouth. He filled him with the spirit of wisdom and understanding. He clothed him in a garment of glory. Sursum corda. The preface follows. I do not know if it could be prayed more beautifully, more captivatingly. Then there is a moment of silence. The Holy Father thinks of all those who have recommended themselves to his prayers and count on his prayers. The Holy Mass comes to its high point. The Holy Father speaks the words of consecration with burning seraphic devotion and self-offering, so quietly but yet so clearly, so full of faith and warmth with love, that all those present are drawn into such a holy experience. From the cross, the eternal high priest looks upon his vicar and grants him the petitions that he presents in intimate prayer. Then he opens his arms wide once more to the crucified, and the blessing of the Christ's vicar goes out, not only to those present, but to the whole world. His thanksgiving after Mass is long and intimate. A prelate who, by chance, was able to witness it was so taken by it that it took him a long while before he could appear once more before the Holy Father. This is from a translation done by Bishop Schneider himself. Um, as a note, for those who might not be familiar with like some of the preconciliar language, when he said, when Pius, when Schneider says that Sister Pascalina assisted at his daily mass for almost 40 years. That does not mean she was at the altar. That means that she attended daily mass with the, with the Pope for 40 years. That's what attending mass used to mean that you assisted at mass. That's what it meant. The priest's task of being an image and instrument of Christ is also to be found in the mystery of the word, in the proclamation of the truth. In the celebration and administration of the sacraments, the priest mediates Christ, the life. In the ministry of proclaiming, the priest mediates Christ, the truth. Jesus Christ is the incarnate word, the incarnate wisdom, the incarnate truth, incarnate reason. Untruth, unclearness, and ambiguity are in contradiction to the very essence of God. Whenever someone rejects Christ, he always thereby rejects the truth. Love of untruth, of half-truth, of unclearness, indifference towards the truth, making the truth relative, putting truth and untruth on the same level. All of this is to be found in the core of the sin of Adam and Eve. The effect of the proclamation of the word does not take place by means of the very act in itself of proclaiming ex opere operato, but depends essentially on the qualities of the priest. 
ex opere operantis, his personal prayer, his way of life, his study. Of course, in the end, it is God who touches souls through the proclaimed word and illumines them. And it is God who gives the proclaiming priest the necessary special actual graces. Christ himself is the life and the truth. And because Christ is indivisible, so also are the life and truth indivisibly united with one another. The first separation between life and truth began with the sin of Adam and Eve. The negligence of the proclamation of truth, lack of zeal in the explanation and defense of the truth are sin against Christ the truth. They apply a giving in to the sophisticated and half-true whisperings of the devil, that father of lies, he who confuses. Christ came in order to destroy the kingdom of lies and build up his kingdom of truth, in order to free mankind from the darkness of lies and untruth. For this I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. He who is of the truth hears my voice. The church founded by Christ is the kingdom of life, of supernatural divine grace, and at the same time the kingdom of truth. If you neglect one of these realities, you will disfigure the image of the church. The life of the church on earth will be crippled on one side. Let's pause there. How many of you are tired of the ambiguities we get? The ambiguous language that you know is only ambiguous to more, to people reading the thing, but not knowing how things typically are operate in Rome. That the ambiguity there has a purpose. And it's typically for the to mask true intentions. So that we, for instance, Amoris Laetitia on the communion and the sacraments for the divorced and civilly remarried. There was a purpose to that ambiguity, which was revealed in the way the Argentinians implemented it. Like Fernandez, who ghost wrote that document. That ambiguity is a purpose. And it's, of course, to mask untruth, to mask, to, to, to cause deceit to spread and to deceive the elect, to deceive the faithful. That ambiguity is not of, of Christ, and it's not of the church. That is a massive statement in that in this, this address that Schneider is presenting. Continue here. An exhortation. Speak the truth with faithfulness and courage. If you neglect the sacramental life, especially the life that comes through the most holy Eucharist, its respectful and worthy reception, its faith-filled adoration, and the principal nourishment for the soul will be lacking. The spiritual life will waste away. And because the soul cannot live without nourishment, it will seek nourishment from somewhere else. Sure enough, in the things of this world, in psychology, in nature, in self-glorification, in a focus on the physical, the sensual, and purely natural man, the cry of the believing psalmist, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to thy name give the glory, becomes often unnoticeably and without admitting it an opposite call. To us, O Lord, to us and to our name, give the glory. If you neglect to care for the purity of the truths of the faith and their defense, you necessarily neglect Christ himself. If you neglect the defense of Christ, then you will possess less and less the spirit of Christ. Then the supernatural light of faith will decrease, little by little. Alongside the only truth, which is Christ, you will put up other artificial theories. You will make the absolute claims of Christ merely relative. When did fallen human nature, our old man, wounded by original sin, ever love the truth, love being in the truth and living in it? They love the darkness more than the light, said the Lord. That means unclearness, loving relativism more than the luminous and rock-solid truth of Christ. Christ is the clearest light and the strongest rock of truth. He who does not care about or take care to defend the luminous and rock-solid truths of the Catholic faith does not really love Christ. He does not live in the truth. Go and teach, Christ instructed the apostles. He did not say, 
go and discuss and make questionnaires about my commandments. That's a dig of synodality. On the contrary, he said, go and teach all men to keep the commandments, which I have taught you. Moreover, Christ did not say, go and see if there's someone who, in an exceptional situation, cannot keep my commandments, make him feel better and approve of his way of life. Use pastoral creativity. That's his response to Fiducius Supplicants. The priesthood of the church must, in its activity, be directed toward the truth and ever preserve itself from diminishing the claim of divine truths and their luminosity in the world through inactivity and human respect. The whole being and consequently the whole activity of the priest and the church depend on Christ and are directed toward him. One might put it like this. Sacheros es pro Cristo. Pro Cristo really means always pro veritate. Therein lies the priest being an image and instrument of Christ. The consciousness of this duty most clearly characterized the apostles. As St. Paul expressed it, we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. If you weaken the principle pro veritate, then you will weaken the principle pro Christo in the life of the priest and the church. If care for the supernatural truths decreases, then priests and bishops' interest in Christ decreases. In place of interest in Christ, interest in pseudo-truths and one-sided interest for temporal and secular concerns will grow. Social justice, political activism, the thermometer problem, ecology, and so forth, under these key terms, justice, peace, preservation of creation. That's his rejection of the Bergolian program. Man's mind always needs concrete nourishment, ideals and convictions for which the will is decided. As a consequence of the weakening of the principle of pro veritate, a certain emptiness is left behind, emptiness that must be filled with new contents. New theories are constructed that correspond to the spirit of this world and the expectation of the majority. Pastoral documents are continuously produced, documents which have been previously debated according to parliamentary rules, which have been voted upon and which for the most part avoid any luminous and rock-solid expressions of the truth. Through all of this, a void space is left in the life of some communities, of some priests and religious, and a new kind of spiritual atmosphere takes place, an atmosphere similar to that of Gnosis and Pelagianism. Priests and bishops who live in such an atmosphere begin to collaborate with the world to be politically correct. Indifference and shyness in the face of truth generate fear of public opinion and of the powerful of the world. Such behavior will not bring forth any confessors of the faith, but rather scribes who collaborate with the Herod and the pilot of our times, meaning with the unbelieving world. Without any care for the purity of faith, for being certain of the truth, for standing in truth, a new religion emerges, a group to the current and historically conditioned feelings of the time, a religion no stronger than the needs than the reeds in the wind. Still more worthy of condemnation is a type of Gnostic behavior, whereby one knows theoretically the validity of divine truth, such as the indissolubility of matrimony, holiness of the family, but at the same time legitimizes the exact opposite in practice, the reception of communion for the divorced and remarried, whereby one may support one's position with supposed old traditions, which in reality are quite doubtful. The dignity of the image and instrument of Christ the truth contains an extremely pastoral duty, a duty by which priests enlighten the people by teaching the truth. Likewise, doctors and merciful Samaritans, they heal the people from the wounds of untruth. The priest, and especially the bishop, as an instrument of the truth, must pour upon the wounds of men who have fallen among the robbers of the present age, meaning the spirits of untruth. First of all, the disinfecting and thus often painful wine of truth, as well as the oil of consolation and the patient instruction. Pope St. Gregory the Great speaks about this in his Regula Pastoralis. 
You should have love, but not unto arbitrariness and over softness. Goodness should not be such that it harms the guilty. Church leaders should have the courage by means of zeal for justice to rise up against the vice of evildoers and by means of humility to be a companion of the just. And now he talks about the need for a new syllabus, meaning a new syllabus of errors. Those responsible for the health of the body today show extraordinary zeal in keeping human diseases and uh, afflictions away. They issue continuous warnings about the spread of such. Detailed lists are published into which the afflictions, their causes, and their effect are described in great detail. This is a kind of medicinal syllabus. No right-thinking man would get the idea to call such a medicinal syllabus intolerance, limitation of freedom, or step backwards. On the contrary, it is seen as great benefit for the people. There was hardly any age in the history of the church characterized by so much doctrinal confusion and relativism of the truth as the 20th century, most especially from 50 years ago to the present, and this confusion seems only to grow. Such a situation finds analogy only in the Arian crisis of the 4th century. The absoluteness and the unchangeableness of the truth is today often doubted and denied, for instance, in the case of all the following truths. The indissolubility and sacramentality of holy matrimony. Salvation through Christ alone, which means through his church, for all men, including our so-called elder brothers. The identity of the Catholic Church with the one and only Church of Christ. The objective and intrinsic evil of those artificial barriers to being fruitful and multiplying and the James Martin activities and ways of life. The complete bodily perpetual virginity of Mary, including at the birth of Christ. The primary and essential sacrificial character of the Mass. Eucharistic transubstantiation and the real presence of Christ, even in the smallest particle of the consecrated host. The eternity of perdition, the eternal condemnation of the fallen angels. The real possibility, the same condemnation for those who, who perish without the contrition in the state of mortal sin. The monarchical constitution of the church given by Christ himself and the leadership of the Pope, his vicar, the Peter of today over the entire church. Let's pause right there. That is a list of things that we see undermined in the church today, especially in the last decade, but for the last 60 years or so, but brought very much into attention in the last decade. And that is what he wants, is a syllabus of errors that corrects this. When you read the syllabus of errors, what you get is a list of condemned propositions. Reading the syllabus by itself doesn't make much sense unless you remember that when Pius IX uh, talks about freedom of religion, it's a condemnation of the concept, okay? That's what we're talking about here. So when he says that there is, he says here, the absoluteness and changeableness of truth is today often doubted and denied, as for instance, the case of all the following truths, meaning he lists here a list of truths, but that people believe can the truth the, na the truthful nature of it can be changed and you can see this for the last decade at least if not going back 60 years let's continue to the end here because we're almost done the denial of these truths and their deformation takes effect on people's mind and soul similar to the way a serious disease affects the body their effect is furthermore contagious people have more concern today about the health of the mortal body than the health of the immortal soul all the errors dangerous for souls that we have enumerated are widespread and contagious. It's not the issuing and pu publishing of a dogmatic syllabus, meaning of a detailed warning about these afflictions for souls both profitable and urgently necessary. There have been crises in the church where the Holy Spirit preferably used members of the common priesthood, meaning lay people, to overcome the crises. During the long Avignon captivity of the church, for instance, the contribution from men and women from among the faithful people was decisive for overcoming the crisis. 
Among the best known were St. Catherine of Siena, St. Bridget of Sweden, and the German Emperor Sigmund. God loves to accomplish his great deeds through that which is little. And so it happened on the 11th of November, 1417, the formal end of the Avignon exile by means of a new papal election. The decisive factor of the event was a group of innocent children. While the Cardinals persisted many days in disagreement and helplessness and no solution was in view, a boy's choir processed below the window of the room where they were gathered. The boy sang the Veni Creator in a clear voice. When the Cardinals heard it, they were moved to tears and immediately elected a new Roman pontiff, whereby the 70-year crisis of the church was officially over. We might make a well-founded claim that the church of our times is in a type of liturgical and doctrinal Avignon exile. The world and souls need a doctrinal syllabus in view of effectively combating these diseases together with a corresponding process of convalescence. Maybe the issuing of such a syllabus today should begin first of all by the simple members of the mystical body. Well-formed lay people, priests and individual bishops, conscious of their responsibility for the faith of the church, could surely issue an informal syllabus errorum. As time passes, such voices of the simple will become an unwavering chorus of faith among the confusion of the present church crisis. We hope that also today. The Holy Spirit will use the little and the pure of the church to move the great and mighty in the church to decisive action for her true renewal. Such action would be, without a doubt, the publication of a papal syllabus aurorum together with a convincing, clear, and loving clarification of divine truth and the restoration of a more unequivocal sacredness of the liturgy in the spirit of uninterrupted liturgical tradition. To show the world and souls the way to heaven, that is the most proper and most beautiful task of every priest and of the whole world, of the whole church. For Christ, the life and the truth is the ideal and the strength, but the priest is nevertheless his living image and instrument. And that's the full text of it. I really, really like this idea of a syllabus of errors coming from well-formed laity. This doesn't mean, you know, your typical Catholic YouTuber, though. I want this to be from East and West theologians working together with uh, bishops like Schneider to make sure that it's not just their own ego showing up in such a document, but something like this being used and promulgated. That would be magnificent. Sonny Jim says, unfortunately, no longer the church of God, but the church of man. That's what we've seen happen in the last decade, at least, but for the last several decades, to be sure, also. An ever-changing church based on the emotional whims and desires of man. Forgive my pessimism. I mean, this is this, I mentioned this yesterday, the permanent aggiornamento from Vatican II. It's just a season of permanent change, permanent never-ending change, permanent adaptation to the world. I, your pessimism is is noted. I mean, our Lord will intervene at some point in the church. I don't share the optimism some have that the next Pope is going to be something great, but our Lord will intervene. He'll do so in his own time. And he will do so, I think, when we've done penances ourselves to warrant it. I am a firm believer we get the Pope we deserve. All right, folks, I'm going to check the chat here. Dr. Obvious says, Bishop Schneider, Echoing the voice of St. Thomas Aquinas, we are blessed more than we know. Yes, I think that there is a lot of truth to that, what he says there. Oh, let's see. Um, Traditionalist Catholic says, it's sad that the syllabus of errors and Pascendi is the catechism of the modernists. Yeah, and by that he means that these are a syllabus of errors they took to be a syllabus of things to do. And Pascendi, they did literally the opposite of what that document said. Speaking of Pascendi, the next part of that will be tomorrow morning. 
Saturday morning. So, and it'll go live early in the day. So if you've been, I've gotten a few emails from people who did not know that I've been presenting Pashendi every Saturday, every other Saturday. Uh, well, we're going over the next part tomorrow morning. It'll be early, early in the morning before my live stream. Um, if you see a video from my channel about Pius X, and it's come from the last year or so, it's Pashendi. We're just working through it slowly because it's a dense, gigantic document that needs to be digested slowly to, for the typical person to understand. All right, folks. There's any other questions in the chat? This is the time to get them in. I think Francis realizes the more he fires bishops and priests, he is creating more vocal opponents. I think I wish that uh, that was actually the case, but I do sense that so I've I have noticed in the last couple of months the number of these kind of letters that I present on this channel have 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 dropped dramatically. There's a fewer number of them being made public now than there were six months ago. You'll remember, I mean, I used to get some pushback because it seemed like Cardinal Mueller was issuing a letter every week and I'd present it, even though Cardinal Mueller is a much more moderate than I am and more moderate than most people are. I presented it because there was, it's a sign of resistance to the errors of our time coming from somebody who is in a position to resist the errors. We're seeing far fewer of them. This is the first one I've read in a while. I may have another one here, though, maybe tomorrow. I don't know, um, because another bishop that I've covered has actually done something recently. So that might be worth going over. <sighs> Thanks. I do appreciate the I'm not. Yeah, we're not not feeling well. Just going to rest some more today. So with that. Um, consider doing videos on passage. Father tank carries the spiritual life. Is that a um, email me some details about that? Okay, I'll, I'll and to make sure that the subject line is up big because I have like eight hundred something emails in my inbox. So I'll keep an eye out for that. Okay. All right, folks. Thanks very much for tuning in today, and as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria. <laughs>